Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. This is your host, Christopher Sims. Uh, as a quick editorial note, this episode originally aired in late 2016, somewhere around there, and a few things have changed in the time that's passed since. This episode's guest, Jonathan Sims, has navigated a career change, but the points remain as solid as ever. Also, I've learned a lot about recording methods, specifically around background noise, so uh, bear with us on this one. Longtime listeners of the podcast, uh, thanks for bearing with us and being patient with the brief hiatus as uh, we've been pretty busy with a lot of other things, but new episodes are coming and uh, we're looking forward to it. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Go Dig a Hole podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Christopher Sims, and I'm here with a very special guest, my brother, Jonathan Sims. Uh, we're sitting around the dinner table eating homemade enchiladas. This is an important point that we will come back to later on in the episode. Uh, Some good enchiladas. <laughs> but uh, Jonathan is a personal trainer. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in personal training and tends to focus on body mechanics and wellness uh, from a more holistic approach. And I think that there's a lot of overlap between what he does and what anthropologists do in that he studies uh, human behavior from a very specific angle. Much like we do as archaeologists, we study human behavior from the angle of material remains he studies human behavior from the angle of the relationship people's movements have with their bodies. The relationship between sugar and how much fat is on your body. <laughs> so not just movement, but also diet as well. And so uh, movement and diet are important things for archaeologists to consider. Um you know, uh, for so many levels. Right now, we're recording this in mid February. Man, time flies. Yeah. Uh, mid February. It is time for most archaeologists to be thinking about their plans for summer field work. Uh, most parts of the country, if you're a CRM archaeologist, uh, you're coming off of your winter dry spell. Um, where weather has prohibited you from going and doing field work. And a lot of field work is starting to fire back up throughout the country. So it's time to get in shape. Uh, but there's also important things to consider in regard to uh, the, the topic we're going to talk about today, which is uh, being fit for the field. Uh, there's also an element of ableism uh, that I think... Uh, we want to avoid any any ableist uh, kind of framework here, but I do want to have a podcast in the future on ableism and being more inclusive for disabled persons. Uh, but for this podcast specifically, we're going to talk about um, kind of the very specific kinds of fitness issues that most field archaeologists encounter. And I think we'll be borrowing a lot uh, from myself as a case study. So uh, 
Jonathan, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, wh- what you do? Uh, you know, I gave I gave a pretty good introduction <laughs> for that. But uh, what else do you want to say as an introduction to what you do? Yeah, I, I feel like you could do this entire podcast by yourself, like theory <laughs> and everything. You, you really just need me here as like, this is the field expert saying it. Like, you, you already have a really good grasp on a lot of this stuff just because you know, you, you're interested in learning it and you also live with me. So we yeah. talk about this stuff all the time. Well, we live together, but you've also been training me for intensively for what, three or four years. Uh, so yeah, just about, you know, yeah. you've had a drastic impact on my fitness, uh, when, uh, you know, to share this personal tidbit, when I first got into exercise seriously, you know, and started seeking out your expertise as a trainer. It was around the time that you were getting into personal training as a career. And just through some diet choices, I had lost 25 or 30 pounds of grad school fluff during one summer field season. (laughs) And I was like, hey, uh, I, I'm having a much easier time moving around. Uh, I wanna, <laughs> 20 pounds does a lot. Yeah. I want to do something with this. So, uh, you know, I, I started, you know, and it, it everybody has different goals. And I think that that's an important thing that we'll come back around to is that uh, nobody's goals are the same. And I'm sure you experienced that as a trainer, that you have to custom fit individual uh, fitness plans for individual clients that there's mm-hmm. no one size fits all plan. Well, the interesting thing about that is, is, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. But oftentimes what, what's going on is, is I meet people who, who exist in a world that treats it like everyone has the same goal. So they, they're exposed to, all manner of media that's blasting them with high intensity workouts and ill-advised nonsense to, you know, blast your core and, and blow fat off your body kind of thing. And, and everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot, a large amount of people end up coming to me pre-programmed with this idea that, that there is a one size fits all thing. And that, that's oftentimes what gets people in trouble and why a lot of people end up getting injured, you know, doing nonsense that comes from Instagram or CrossFit or any other thing, you know, P90X or something. Um, but what I deal with the most, just to give, you know, more of an explanation of the intro you already gave about me, yeah, is... Um, is I, I typically deal in the realm of of sort of like you said human movement, and that sort of encases how people control their spine is how it boils down to. So ev- every movement, whether it's an exercise or something that you do on a daily basis in your home, is you showing off what you can do while being in control of your spine, everything. And that gets, that very foundational principle gets disrespected a lot by 
by most trendy exercise programming and and just you know culture in general um but i i tend to work with people that have an existing symptomatic dysfunction you know most people have dysfunction given our modern society and just our sedentary nature but not everyone is symptomatic or they have pain a lot of people that i work with have symptomatic issues they're they're dealing with pain on a fairly regular basis and i work to get them out of pain and improve their self-efficacy which is just their their belief in their ability to do things um so you know i i work with uh a very wide range of people currently i i work with a a somewhat older population because the club I work at is positioned right next to a retirement home. Um, and there's a fairly older community that lives nearby anyways, you know, besides that. Um, so I, right now I work with a fair number of, of, uh, older people, but the interesting thing with that is you can, you can see what happens. Like, decades from now to people right because you you can see you you can meet someone and you you learn their life story and you get to know physically what they've gone through and through assessments and things you can find those dysfunctions that are are sort of plaguing them and you can see what those dysfunctions have done over decades kind of thing so it ends up being very applicable to younger populations so that you can come in and say, you know, we need to change these dysfunctions because it matters in the long run, not just for a performance gain for like a young athlete or something, but like in the long run, it will destroy you. And you'll have to come back to it decades later and address it a lot harder, you know? Right. You're talking about a very preventable, uh, a very preventable decrease in someone's quality of life if you just have the knowledge and the skills to you know help them with with just their movement patterns yeah and it's it's a matter of teaching mm-hmm. more than it is a matter of physical skill or body image it's just a matter of of teaching movement right and uh it's uh yeah it's a lot of what I deal with is is the the side of movement mechanics and movement patterns and and how people's core fires to control their spine and things like that and and while there are you know people come to come to me with sort of other goals too your your traditional goals of hey I, I want you know a six pack you know that or, or something like that and you know, it always makes me chuckle because I, I know that you and I have discussed thoroughly before that, you know, six packs are a social construct. Yeah, abs are a social construct. <laughs> yeah. Everyone out there, stop worrying about your abs. You've been programmed to want abs from men's fitness and every other thing trying to keep you down. So a little bit of fat on your abdomen is actually a good thing. So rest easy. Um, but... I guess applying it to archaeology is that sort of where we want to go now? Yeah, well, I think that there's a 
for any archaeologist who's been in the field with a senior archaeologist, someone who has been in the field for probably more than 30 years or so, uh, most older archaeologists who have served that much time in the field will all say common things. They'll say, my knees are trash, my back is trash, and my shoulders are trashed. And this comes right back around to what you were saying, is that the back is the foundation. Like, your spine control is the foundation of everything. Uh, And there are so many movements that we do in the field through repetitive strain and all that that put so much strain on the rest of our body. And, you know, from the perspective that you work with your clients, you know, you're not just looking at, at, uh, you know, fixing someone's knee, you're going to look at their back. Like you said, that's the foundation. Well, what are you doing with your back? Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we do in the field as archeologists through various different tasks that we do. And you know what? It doesn't always have to be in the field. Um, you know, we have, you know, people who work in labs all the time Mm, or, you know, even people who have more, uh, desk oriented jobs, you know, you work with plenty of people who have desk jobs and sitting at a desk takes a toll on your body. Oh yeah. It, It is brutal. Especially if you, if you do that as sort of like a, a year in year out career kind of thing. Yeah. Um, sitting is, is disastrous for our bodies. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did not evolve to sit. No. And, and it shows up in, in all of us. We all sit, we, we all, you know, we all sit too much and, and it shows up to varying degrees. Um, but I, um, when I work with people, I, I try to teach them. I, I just refer to it as the, the framework of, of human movement, sort of the, the do's and don'ts and how we're supposed to move, how, how we've evolved to thrive off of movement. And like you're saying, that, that all comes from how you're controlling your spine. And why that's so important is because when we don't control the spine, we end up, oh, let, let's say, it, and this can be applied to every manner of thing, you know, sort of you're already alluding to. It, it could be the field, it could be your job, it could be the way you exercise. But uh, the, the, the main mechanisms of injuring the spine are going to be flexion and especially flexion with rotation. So ju- just to get like a general framework of, of why controlling the spine is important is let's say you bend over towards the ground and you end up flexing or forward bending your spine. Well, you know, the, the spine is meant to move. If you can't move your spine, then that's a problem. But when you bend your spine, you have to compress a disc on one side. And because of the laws of reality, pressure has to go somewhere. So when you compress a disc on one side, it has to bulge out the other way. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's sort of the, the, the disc is, a, is the jelly donut between your, your vertebrae. And, and it, it is meant to, to cushion movement and absorb force. So when it, when it bulges a little bit, you know, 
a little bit of bulge is what it's supposed to do. You know, it's supposed to react like that. That's why it's there, but you don't want to squeeze the jelly out of the donut. Exactly. Yeah. And so over time, especially, you know, so repetitively and especially under load. So that could be doing shovel tests or it could be doing crunches in the gym, yeah. things like that. Repetitively mm -hmm. and especially under load over time, that's going to lead to either too much bulge where it pushes on a nerve and then you have very high amounts of pain and locked up body parts that won't move very well because your body's trying to keep you from injuring yourself further. Or we have, you know, I suppose one of the worser case scenarios is jelly, jelly donut explodes everywhere and you have herniation. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and that's not good jelly. You, you don't want that jelly on you. <laughs> you want that to stay in the donut. You want to keep that jelly in there. That's right. So quick editorial note. Uh, the discussion of the fluid dynamic of discs is oversimplified, of course, but the takeaway is that repeated flexion under a load can lead to herniated discs. So go easy on your back. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, this damage is a something, is something that occurs over time. And it's something that you don't, it, it's not something that you can feel from one repetition. You know, if, and, and that's because you cannot perceive pain in most of the disc itself. The, I, I forget the, the, um, the factoid. I think it's like two thirds of your disc you cannot perceive pain from. Whoa. So by the time you do feel pain in your disc, it's uh, unless you were hit by a car or something like an acute injury. If, if you're just all of a sudden, oh, you know, I'm having a lot of pain in my back, it's been coming for a long time. So that's why we have to honor spine control. It's because you're either going to damage the structures of the spine or you're going to mess with nerves that are branching out of your, your spine and going through your legs and everything else. And you're going to have poor mobility or pain or all kinds of other things. So from an injury prevention standpoint, yeah, we got to learn to control the spine. And that's, that's what real core training is, is just your core muscles or better termed your trunk muscles, your 360 degree belt of musculature is is not there to be a six pack you know there, there's it's there to help control your spine to stabilize movement especially in your lumbar so that we don't have these crazy excursions of range of motion while you're under load or if you just are doing insane amounts of trendy ab exercises yeah. which are the most reliable way of herniating a disc in your back is doing you know things like crunches crunches or, or russian twists or things like that flexion flexion with rotation avoid it end of story there there is research backing this up it's just that these ab exercises are so so ingrained in our society because we've been conditioned to think that they are going to deliver unto us the holy grail of of you know greco-roman bodies we we want these, <laughs> these these amazing physiques and we've been told that in order to get them we do a whole bunch of crunches and a bunch of stuff that we can feel in our in our most exterior of 
of trunk muscles, your your rectus abdominis or, or your six-pack muscles. And so we exercise because we want six-pack muscles. So we exercise so that we can feel them working. And that, that gives us a lot of pleasure. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting closer to that six-pack. You're getting closer to blowing a disc out of your back. And you need to change your nutrition if you want a six-pack. Well, I think that's a great point. And it comes back around to the point that you said, you know, only half-jokingly that abs are a social construct. But I think that there's a lot about uh, exercise and the way we conceive of effective exercise is socially constructed and fitness is a social construction as well. Or, you know, the way we conceive of popular fitness is a social construction as well. Now, if we're conceiving of functional movement and stability of the back, that is a different thing than chasing a six pack. And so I guess uh, the good news is if you're trying to get fit for the field, uh, you're not going to be doing a thousand ab crunches a day. The bad news (laughs) is, is you need to watch what you eat. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is, is huge, especially if, if you're trying to lose or change your body composition or losing fat or, you know, if you're trying to chase a weight goal or something, uh, certainly physically, you know, you should be doing a lot of exercise that, that promotes your ability to have great movement, which is very important. If you're out in the field doing all kinds of stuff, bending over, picking up dirt, you know, rooting around, shaking dirt out of a tray or twisting and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So, if you're if you're looking at what what should you be doing or, or you know what what is what is the framework how, how should you think about fitness is is one you need to try to rid yourself of dysfunctions um, which could mean multiple things which I, I guess we'll talk about in a second um, and beyond that you know two just make yourself more resilient to to what you're trying to do right yeah. so if in in terms of dysfunction this could be any number of things it, it could be a postural problem it, it could be a motor control problem but typically what we'll see is bit of both, but what will probably make more sense to just talk about through a podcast because um, there's so many different nuances. Like the dysfunction is very personal. N- not everyone has the same dysfunction if they work at a desk. It, it can be very personal and, and variable. So, um, you know, there's no, there's no one size fits all. So yeah. as you were saying earlier, um, so I guess, uh, I, I think to back up a second, how would someone know if they're dysfunctional? Like you had mentioned much earlier on in this conversation, a lot of the people that you train are symptomatic of dysfunctions. Okay. So at what point, you know, like how, how do these, how do your clients know that they're symptomatic? Do they know when they come to you or are they just kind of like something needs to change? Um, help me figure this out. Um, it can be either. So sometimes people come to me and they're like, I have sciatic pain. You know, maybe they know it's sciatic pain. Maybe maybe they've had that 
looked at by a, a medical professional or something. So we know they're symptomatic, you know, because they have pain. Yeah. Um, or I, I typically run people through, not typically, I always run people through assessments. Um, but we'd be looking at the SFMA, which is the Selective Functional Movement Assessment, or the FMS. Um, the SFMA is more for pain, uh, but I typically do it on any, on everyone anyways because given the demographic I work with, I just assume that most people have some sort of significant dysfunction, and that test will, if there is a significant dysfunction, usually elicit a little bit of pain, um, which is, you know, a little messed up, but it, it's in it's in good intention, right? You know, I, I'm not there to hurt people, but they'll they'll give me clues as to what we need to do to help them out. So uh, when it comes to trying to figure out if you're dysfunctional, well, you probably are. But <laughs> if you're symptomatic and this could be, I mean, do you have pain? If you're standing still, put your feet together as close as you can get it, reach towards your toes keeping your legs as straight as you can. If you have pain in your back, that's that's a symptomatic dysfunction. Uh, if you if you can't reach your toes, that that's a dysfunction too. But you know that that's a different thing. Uh, you can do the same thing. Uh, again, this is all part of the SFMA. It's just stand with your feet together and and extend backwards. You know, reach backwards. You know that that extension, the hyperextension of the body. Does your back have pain doing that? If so, you're you have a symptomatic dysfunction. Right? Yeah, um, that's a that's a really very simply boiled down way of, of looking at that. But so the SFMA and uh, remind me what SFMA stands for. Uh, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. And then the FMS, which is the Functional Movement Screening. Right? Yeah, those two help you as a trainer figure out the starting point for. Uh, I, I guess what are you like triaging the the most symptomatic element of someone's fitness? Uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I'm looking for because because I said the the thing that I look for first is is getting rid of someone's dysfunction. So I'm going to try to find whatever might be holding them back. I mean that that's dysfunction. That that is a that is a break on your on your physical capabilities. Yeah, is, is dysfunction. And um, so if if someone's trying to achieve a goal and I want them to be able to pursue that a hundred percent, then I need to take their dysfunctions away, right? Whether they're symptomatic or not. Yeah. Um, but what that what these assessments help me do is yeah, sort of. I I like what you said. Sort of triage. What is the most, I don't know, stressing issue that I need to look at first. Or maybe they need to be referred out to someone else if it's a big enough issue. Yeah. Um, but uh, these these assessments basically set up to figure out, do you have enough range of motion in your body? And the range of motion of every one of your joints put together is your posture, right? So... If I can find, you know, pinpoint things about your joints, 
it can help explain things about your posture. If your posture is terrible, it's going to immediately mean that you're set up for more injury because your spine is out of alignment. Yeah. And when your spine isn't in good alignment, then you're putting those jelly donuts at risk yeah. and, <laughs> and and muscles don't work very well at, at the same time. So then we have compensations and stuff. So it's, it's taking away pain and trying to get people set up in enough mobility that they can sort of pursue whatever they want to pursue. Yeah. And I mean, you've seen, you've seen those elements in, in me over the years too. I've spent by now a decade in the field and uh i don't know how many hours hunched over looking at the ground or bent over digging on my hands and knees or you know kind of hunched over screening soil from a shovel test or even digging <laughs> a shovel test all those things over all those hours over the past decade have done things to my back you know i'm not like symptomatic in pain but i'm symptomatic to a trained eye, your eye, well, you can see like my, my posture yeah. does certain things that are not optimal. You're, you, you have dysfunction yeah. in, in, you know, mobility or stability or, or motor control, but every now and then that dysfunction shows up, you have symptoms, you know, not weekly or daily, but it's every now and then you have neck pain yeah you have upper back pain every now and then you have things that happen in the hips hamstrings knees things like that front of the hips yeah and all of that can be traced back to the way you control your spine and, and how your body is set up to control it right yeah um but if if you are wanting to get fit for the field, find out what your dysfunctions are. This can be range of motion. It can be, it. I mean, if you're in pain now, then you have a symptomatic dysfunction, but find out what your dysfunctions are and get rid of them. You, and this can be a very, very long conversation as far as what is dysfunction. Um, if, if you're interested perhaps uh, looking at the FMS or the functional movement screen or that website in general with uh, Gray Cook and Brett Jones, people like that, that sort of masterminded that whole um, just wonderful system. Uh, looking at that can be a great resource, but, or just try to find a trainer. Yeah. You know, but you know, you've cautioned against that too. There are plenty of trainers and by now I'm sure anybody out there is probably very frustrated by the flood of uh, personal trainers or rather people purporting themselves to be personal trainers who do not actually have certifications and who are not actually doing the things that you're talking about using the FMS, using the SFMA or looking at uh, spine control or looking at quality of life right. stuff like that so those are I think those are important things to look at if you're selecting a trainer 
or selecting a consultation is those are the questions you need to ask. Uh, if I have this right, you you need to look at either SFMA or FMS, um, and you need to ask about functional movement as your priority, and you need to just have a serious conversation and explain the kind of tasks that you're going to do. And that's going to involve building a relationship more, more than likely with your trainer. But that's, I think that that's also, you know, for, uh, I think for most of my listeners and for also most archeologists, you know, like, uh, finances are tight, uh, especially at this time of year for most of us. And so I think that there's a financial gap or a financial barrier, rather there's a financial barrier to seeking out training just as much as there's a barrier with the intimidation or, you know, just like not knowing where to start because there's a flood of information, but there's Mm -hmm. not a flood of quality information. There's a flood of low quality information out there. So what do you identify as the starting point? What does someone need to know if they know absolutely nothing? Like who do they need to look for and what are the questions they need to ask? Well, like you're saying, it's it's very important to realize that huge flood of information and misinformation. Trainers are going through the same thing that gym goers or potential clients are going through. That everyone in this industry, including the what people would deem is is the upper medical industry, physical therapists. Uh, chiropractors, doctors, we're all going through the same grinder of having to think very critically. And what sells very easily and what we've been programmed to want doesn't require critical thinking. (laughs) Um, So it's just important to remember that a lot of trainers are essentially just regurgitating what other people are regurgitating. Just an endless regression of regurgitation. It's a human centipede of... Seriously. Personal... <laughs> yeah, it's it's a human centipede of just men's fitness magazines ground up into a smoothie or something. Yeah, just, so don't, don't be the caboose on, right. on this human centipede. And just do some critical thinking by listening to this podcast. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Rating it five stars on iTunes. <laughs> But it's and and inherently what we're saying is essentially setting people up to be leery or perhaps afraid. And I honestly, I'm okay with that. I think that's a good thing. You yeah. should you should have a healthy suspicion of someone that's trying to take your money for something, right? And I I think that good personal training is probably worth a lot more than than what good personal trainers get paid yeah um, especially if they do address people's dysfunctions and pain um, but just and I, I wish there was a cut and dry rubric of of asking if, when you meet your personal trainer ask them these questions you know that kind of thing <laughs> it's, it's if they answered no to any of these following questions right. yeah so that's yeah, that's really hard. So where where would you go with that? So 
I I will say that if if they if they have an FMS certification, if they're FMS level one, which is not a personal training base certification, it's it's an additional thing that they would have to do. That doesn't guarantee that they're not total hooligans and they're going to have you do a bunch of trendy ab exercises and burpees and stuff and just give you a boot camp style workout. It's not going to guarantee that, but they might be, it might be a trainer that is going down the right path, right? So that they, they might have grasped enough of the right framework, the sort of ideological framework of, of what good movement and what good training should look like for person to person basis kind of stuff. Uh, from there, if, I mean, I, this is almost joking, but it's not, if, if your trainer's having you do a bunch of crunches, bunch of nonsense, trying to traditional things, crunches, sit-ups, Russian twists, burpees, all, all kinds of stuff like that. Be, be wary. I, I, I don't have any of my clients do those for very specific reasons, because the first thing about this field is do no harm, right? Just yeah. like medical professionals, right? Don't hurt people that are paying you money to make them better. So just don't do those things. If they have you do anything that that disrespects or violates the principle of spine control, especially in a, in a repetitive and loaded manner, get away from them. Just run far away. Now, now there are instances where we do want to do things that would violate that. But that that is not a that is not a strength that is not a metabolic boot camp thing that that is nowhere near those things. Yeah. And if if your trainer has you do something that violates sort of what I'm talking about with spine spine control, they better be able to very concisely back up why they're doing it. So I, I guess that that might be a lead to help you pick out or or sort of sift through the endless amount of of trainers out there because yeah. there there are many and they are growing all the time yeah it's a very oversaturated industry but it's also a very low barrier of entry industry anyone can self-declare themselves as a trainer at any point that even if even if they don't have a certification even if they do have a certification those certifications are uh, i mean i obviously have a base certification yeah i i pretty much feel like it was almost useless. It, the, any, the, the trainers that I respect the most and that I have either mentored through or, or actively listened to for, for guidance and trying to figure out, you know, not knowing what I don't know kind of stuff. You know, yeah. where, where do I go from here is, is that this entire industry is, <laughs> is, is very subpar. And um, a certification means nothing. So don't don't be impressed by a bunch of letters next to someone's name. It doesn't mean they've been prepared to do anything for you. Uh, and that goes for literally any field in the fitness and health realm. You raised a good point there about uh, a trainer should be able to back up whatever they're doing to you, especially if it feels screwy. Yeah. So... That goes back full circle 
to the point that you had raised in the beginning about critical thinking. And you should be able, as, as a client seeking out a personal trainer, you should be thinking critically 100% of the time. And you should be able to ask a trainer, you know, let me get inside your thought process on this. Tell me why you're doing this. What is this doing to me? And why am I doing this after the thing you just had me do? How do, how do those string together? Because those are the kinds of things that, you know, I asked you for years just because I was curious and I knew nothing about exercise. Uh, I don't know how I made it into my, my late 20s and early 30s without really knowing anything about it. But, um, you know, I just wanted to learn. And so I've learned so much from you. But, you know, like I've, you know, I, I know some of your clients that, and I've heard, you know, testimonials from your clients and they like to learn. And that is, that is a, a gift to a client that that's not only just the, the service they're paying for, but that's also a, a lifelong gift to a client. But it's also a product of a good trust relationship. And what you were saying earlier about is an, it's an opportunity to be taught, right? Yeah. So that that should be the 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 primary focus of personal training because it being called training sort of connotates that you are being prepped for something right yeah. so i mean if you were being trained for anything else if it if it wasn't doing crunches on the gym floor it if if you were doing blah 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 training yeah wouldn't you assume that that training was going to make you better at owning whatever that was. So I, I think it's very appropriate to to have very open dialogues if if you're working with a trainer, very open dialogues where you can ask, you know, why why are we doing this? What what where does this fit? What what's the the big overarching principles here? Yeah, um, because it is something that should set you up to be able to own the entire process. Yeah. And I, you know, just a little anecdote that relates to that is recently I came back from two months on the road and, uh, you know, this is a situation that I think a lot of CRM archaeologists will especially find themselves in. Two months on the road does not equal two months of fitness. It, it equals Two months of me getting fluffy and <laughs> sitting in a car for a long time and just punishing my body. And, you know, it was like I came back and when I was ready to finally start like thinking about exercise again, I came to you and, and I go, uh, you know, what are some good core exercises? And, and I'm in my mind... I was so like, I just wasn't thinking the process through. I wasn't thinking through the whole process. <laughs> and so you were like, well, what is the goal you want? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. I, I just want to do some, some ab exercises or something. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of, of what the beating my body took. And so, you know, it, it ended up being this like, you know, like master class on, well, let's get back into breathing properly because that's, that's something that goes into the spinal control. Uh, let's go into how you're, you know, you have me lay belly down on the ground and breathe like a crocodile for a few minutes. 
<laughs> it's one of those things that goes back into you have to be hungry for learning you have to be willing to learn and you have to you have to be like humble but also critical thinking and so you know at the same time I'm laying their belly down doing crocodile breathing but I'm also like all right well what are we doing and you know you're talking me through the whole thing and you know like I mean we've grown we've grown up literally our whole lives together so we, we have a trust <laughs> relationship I feel like if I was in a gym paying somebody money to do this I'd be like what on earth are you doing to me? But this is the kind of thing that uh, a client needs to go through. Yeah. And, and they've, they've got, it's baby steps. You've got to start from square one. You've got to start from the foundation. And also you as a trainer, you've got to start from square one because you don't know what I've been doing for two months. Right. Yeah. It's like I I had to reassess you and then go from <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. You know, it's it's back to square one. And and it it's, it's funny because seeing that happen in like a public gym or a public club, <laughs> it, it draws a lot of stares and it's not just breathing. It's just corrective exercise in general. Yeah, and, yeah. and corrective exercise gets, it's a pretty, you know, hard wrap, but it's only there to make you better. Correct. Right. Yeah. So if, if you're doing corrective exercise for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months, then you're not doing it right. Corrective exercise should be magic. It should correct things. So when, when people see me and even when trainers see me having people, you know, lay on the floor and breathe, you know, trying to retrain diaphragmatic function, that's a whole bag of worms. But yeah, you know, I've had, I, I had a trainer come up to me and they, they paid me like a, a really cool compliment and I thought it was great. And, and, and this trainer, you know, they, they have a great background, uh, very, very educated, very well read. And they were almost frustrated when they said this to me, they, they said, um, you know, I see you doing all these, these things, these foundational things with, with people and they pay you for it. I, I can't get people to pay me for that even though that's what they need so desperately. That's that's where the real value lies yeah. in that. But I can't get people like and and that that comes down to, you know, well you you got to commit and you got to believe you got to believe it, right? You know, I I believe that these things are going to take the brakes off of someone so that then they then they can go hard, right? Yeah. So people see me doing these these like breathing drills and these rolling drills and and these strange core stability movements that that aren't crunches, right? And they they think that because I end up doing it with a lot of people that it's the end all be all. And this any any trainer that does things like that probably runs into this. Is, is people like, oh, that that's the only thing that they do is is they they just do corrective exercise for people's entire programs, but. It's just to correct things, and then you do hard, awesome training. I'm not talking about boot camps or anything, but then then you push like hard strength training, yeah, stuff like that. It, you, then you then you make people now they move really well. They're not going to injure themselves, right? Now, now and how just, many people do you hear? I mean, I hear it all the time, and I'm not I'm not in the gym that much, and I'm not a personal trainer. But how many people do you hear that say, "Oh, I was really into weightlifting, and then I injured myself, and and now I'm I'm taking a break." And, well, no duh, because yeah. you weren't moving right. Yeah, and you know to bring it full circle back to archaeology, it 
You know, like your knees are shot, your shoulders are shot, your yeah. back is shot because no duh, you weren't moving right. Yeah. And so this is this is one of those things. No matter what point in your life you're at, no matter what point in your season you're at, if you're living with pain, do something about it. Yeah. Like and also don't don't like read about it online. Don't don't look for it on Instagram. Like <laughs> seek a professional. And this is one of those things where it, you know, there's that cognitive dissonance that goes into it, and we deal with this in archaeology as well, where there's a frustration with the general public, there's a frustration with avocational archaeologists. You know, there there is a value, you know, not to not to go on too much of a tangent here. There is a value with, with all that. But the frustration within archaeology is when non-professionals are professing themselves to be professionals and they're doing more harm than good. And I've I've seen you live live with that frustration because you see you you see clients who come to you with the aftermath of that and it does damage to your field as a whole but it also frustrates you and your role because it damages the trust relationship in a very deep way and we deal with that too on the archaeological side of things is the general public has a distrust of archaeologists in general. I'm not saying everybody does. There, there are plenty of great examples of, of good working relationships where there are good things going on, like good cooperation. But this is a case where you, you want to seek out the trained professional. You want to trust the trained professional's advice. Right. And so, you know, to bring it back to an archaeologist as an individual... If you're getting serious about getting fit for the field, you want to at least start by seeing a trained professional. Now, how long do how long does somebody need to see a trained professional? Uh, I mean that that's going to vary widely on your your level of dysfunction, your your goals. You know, may, maybe you are maybe you are obese and you have you know symptomatic back pain or something. It, it's it might take you longer to get through to what you want to accomplish or, or get through to, I guess, owning your own training yeah. than someone that has very little wrong with them from a, a functional standpoint and, you know, maybe doesn't have, you know, as much weight to lose or maybe they just have more willpower. Right. So yeah. it's just, it's just very, it's, it's variable. I, I think that, most people end up working with me for at least two months. Um, and that's typically twice a week um, for two months. But um, And that's you getting someone on a path to being able to work out on their own with confidence and stability and knowledge and all the tools to keep progressing toward their goals right. safely. Right. And when their goals change, as you know, life changes, people's goals change. My fitness goals have changed, you know, seasonally, but uh, you know, then it's time to check back in, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I mean, I I've seen this go a few ways, you know, may, maybe after there isn't a real need from from a corrective standpoint or or from even like learning and workshopping proper movement. Yeah. Maybe there's really not a need anymore 
you know, some some people end up just enjoying the ca- the accountability of it, and yeah. then they just train forever, and they uh, that's great. And other people are very self motivated, yeah, and they they suck up all the knowledge and they own their program. Yeah, you know, so it, it can either be going from twice a week to you know one, once a week after two months or something, or you know maybe it's a check in like you said, but it it varies. Very widely. Yeah. Um, but expect to, you know, the, the personal training is an investment in, in you know, your health. Not not in your six-pack or something, but... In your quality of life. Yeah, in your quality your of life. And that's a great way to put it, is personal training should make you better. It should not detract from or, or degrade your joints stability yeah. posture whatever regardless of what your goal is it should not degrade that in the long term right so and i think that i think you know i've noticed a few really important things that you know through having these you know we we have almost daily conversations about uh fitness but something that i've noticed that I think the casual listener might, you know, gloss over is that throughout all this discussion that we've had on the show about fitness, even in a passing mention of obesity or disability or anything like that, at no point are we talking about body image and at no point are we talking about you know, what, what your max is on like bench or squat or anything like that. We're not talking about anything like that. So, you know, to, to remind all the way back to the beginning, to, to remind the listeners, you know, we're talking about quality of life and functional movement as the foundation, as the starting point for being fit for the field. Now your goals, like, like we had said in the very beginning, there's no one size fits all, you know, so yeah, I mean, quality. this is this is the thing that you know. The, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure plenty of, of people would listen to this and, and think, "Oh man, I was really hoping to get the the workout plan." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, there's no workout plan. Yeah, there there is no workout. Plan. We we led you into it. There's yeah. no workout plan. I'm sorry, clickbait. But here's here's the thing. So here's here's the whole thesis of of the argument in this podcast is: Should you be fit for the field? Yes. What is fit for the field? Well, that depends on you. And it depends on your goal. And so, you know, if if you're trying to accomplish a very specific task, then that's something that you need to have a conversation with a trained professional about. And also, I have heard from so many archaeologists that since archaeology is a physically demanding job, that that counts as a workout. What do you have to say about that? Um, so I, I think this can be sort of framed in the idea of, uh, of training versus game day. So when we train, we want to be as, as sound in our movement as possible. We, we want to you know, pursue all those things, crush dysfunction, 
get stronger, get more resilient to injury. We, we want to train in, in, a, in a bubble of perfection, right? On game day, so obviously this is from like an athlete's perspective, but for an archaeologist, that might be out in the field or screw it. It could be meaning that you sit at a desk or something, but that that's your game day. But what happens on game day is you got to get done what you got to get done. Right. So, so if you need to be able to sit in a chair for eight hours and not injure yourself and like, I know that, you know, like it it sounds laughable, Mm -hmm. but that's a real thing that so many people live with is, all right, can you sit in a chair for eight hours without injuring yourself? Uh, no. Yeah, I was about to say, like, for a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can do it once. Now, do that, all right, do that, like, 52 weeks. Yeah, so it's, it's, you will get into unideal conditions. Yeah. No matter what. So, you know, as, a, as an archaeologist, uh, I'm not saying that you're an athlete or something, but that you are still going to have to endure unideal conditions. So if you're sitting at a desk, you're going to get tired and you're going to bend forward at your thoracic spine and load the mess out of your neck and your cervical spine and your shoulders going to cave forward and you're going to promote all kinds of nightmarish postural problems. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can say about that is get up out of your chair as much as you possibly can. The, the chair is lava. Just stay <laughs> Don't touch the chair. Yeah, don't touch that chair. Um, and standing desks, I mean, yeah, eventually when you're standing, you're going to get into a bad posture. You you are going to fatigue in whatever great posture you're trying to hold or think that you're accomplishing by standing will cave. Yeah. It, it, you will slip into a bad posture and will the, the body is not meant to just maintain one position for hours and hours you know your 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 muscles that control your neck become your stabilizers and they're not supposed to be and then we have all kinds of problems is just move around <laughs> your body thrives off of movement so if you sit at a desk get up and move in 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 all kinds of ways uh just just move yeah. Which, I mean, that can very well be, like, a workplace productivity, you know, like, incentive. Mm-hmm. Work, work five or ten minutes or 15 minutes, however long you want. 20 minutes. Yeah. Get up and move around for a couple minutes. Yeah. Just fidget get back around. to work. Yeah. Just get up and fidget. Do whatever. Yeah. Take a lap. You know? <laughs> Take a lap. Re- re- reach up and, and rotate and, you know, hinge at your hip better and things like that. Yeah. Whatever. If, if you're out in the field and you're looking down all the time, you're going to have some of the same issues uh, that we'll find someone that's sitting at a desk. Your, your middle spine, your thoracic spine is probably going to be a little wound too much forward. You're going to yeah. have a hyperkyphotic back, and that's going to load the mess out of your neck just by the simple laws of physics and, and torque. Um, so... It just goes back to training versus game day. When when you're out in the field, I mean that that that's game day. You got to get done what you got to get done. But if you understand the framework of movement and how ideal movement that keeps you safe and and moving very efficiently and, and powerfully, but you know 
safely. Yeah. If you if you can understand that, then you'll be a lot better off when you have to be confronted with those unideal conditions. You know, yeah. Picking up dirt and rotating with it. You know, leaning down and and bearing weight and stuff. And if we're looking for usable information, right? Because because I can't give a workout. Because again, it, people have been programmed that there's a one size fits all workout, and and a lot of people that I come in contact ask that. They're like, is there a workout I can do? And I, I have the honest answer is I have no idea. I literally have no idea anything about you. So. I don't know, just move around. You know, I, there, there's nothing I can say. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's nothing that, that can be said from that standpoint, but usable information as far as trying to stay out of injury in the field, right? It, as far as training goes, go, go, go find a professional that's going to correctly identify your dysfunctions, know the difference between a mobility and a stability problem because stretching is not the answer another whole bag of worms, but, <laughs> um, go, go find a professional that's going to take you through that, address your dysfunctions, take the brakes off your performance and allow you to pursue your goals safely and teach you the, the framework of proper movement. You know, wh whatever that means to them, you know, I, I don't expect you, anyone to go hire a personal trainer, personal trainer. And they're like, Oh yeah, the framework for proper movement. Yeah. I, I know that, you know, they, they might have their own concept of what that is, but whatever, go, go try to find a professional, think critically, fire them. If you are suspicious and they are not explaining themselves and move on, go find another person. Yeah. But as far as what, what is good movement and, and what causes a lot of pain out in the field? Well, uh, hinging from your lumbar, it's going to cause a lot of pain over time. And so, if if you uh, if you want a really cut and dry example of this, if if anyone looks up uh, FMS hip hinge or just hip hinge, um, you might see a great example of this. But we want <clears throat> we want to be able to hinge from the hip. The hips are meant to bear weight and to bring you closer to the ground, right? And knees help facilitate movement too, but hips are meant to bear an amazing amount of stress. Not your, not your lumbar to bend over, not, not your knees to cave in and shoot forward. And this, this might fly in the face of a very, a very outdated idea of, you know, you use your legs, not your back. And a lot of older populations I, I deal with this is because they are terrified of hinging over. Of, of getting their back to become more parallel to the ground because they've been taught that that's going to destroy your spine. If you can control your spine to not move and hinge from the hip where it's meant to, you, your hips are meant to bear that stress, then your spine's going to be okay. So number one, like I said from the beginning, know how to control your spine. Don't hinge from your lumbar. Don't bend forward. You should have the mobility and motor control to be able to hinge from the hip to reach the ground. Not yeah. with straight legs or anything. You, th this would essentially be a deadlift. Yeah. If you want an exercise application, this would be you hip hinging and deadlifting to the ground. You know, wh whether that's to pick up a artifact or, or whatever. You know, it, it doesn't matter. So 
Don't hinge from your lumbar because that's going to blow out your back and cause all kinds of problems over time. Um, craning your neck over all the time is, is a simple physics issue, right? We put a lot of torque on there. Yeah. So the more time you spend with your, with your neck over, you know, looking at your phone, you know, sitting in a chair, whatever, it, it's going to load the mess out of your neck. It, it's going to cause problems over time. Yeah. Don't do it. Try Try to keep your neck in line with the rest of your spine. The other thing is going back to the idea of using your hips. The hips should be bearing weight. People generate all kinds of knee pain because they try to bear all of their weight through their knees and their dang ACLs. Because when they try to descend closer to the ground or maybe pump for power to get a shovel out or something, they just sh- you oftentimes just shoot your knees forward instead of your hips back to bear weight. So when the knees go forward, we load them immensely. And they're not meant to do that repetitively. Yeah. These are meant to facilitate movement and, and bear a little bit of stress in, in the process. Hips are meant to bear all kinds of weight, just all kinds of stress in, in every direction. So just load your hips as much as you can. If you're having knee pain, you know you need to learn how to squat correctly. You you need to know how to hinge and deadlift correctly. If if you if your knees are are constantly bothering you, uh, even if you've had surgeries or you're thinking about surgeries, maybe take a maybe take a step back. Try to try to analyze your movement patterns a little bit. If if your go-to strategy, your movement pattern, to get closer to the ground in in a squatting hip hinging, back bending way is to push your knees forward, then that's why your knees hurt. Yeah. You know, it, it can be from a lot of other things too, but that, that, that's a big one. So the, that's a easy list of usable information for the field is yeah. use your hips, hinge, don't lose control of your spine. We want a neutral spine, which is just a normal curvature spine. As soon as you bend or extend repetitively from the lumbar, you're going to cause problems yeah. over time. Um, just control your spine and use your hips. That, that's what it all boils down to. Hips hips are meant to bear all kinds of stress. And if you keep your spine nice and neutral and in control, then you're not going to have a problem. Um, if, if you do have pretty big postural issues, then you probably have a lot of shoulder pain too in certain movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, it's go see a professional. That, that that's that's pretty varied as well. Yeah, you know whether whether it's simply you have a a mobility issue, or maybe you just have really bad movement patterns. Maybe maybe you have a motor control issue. Um, but go see a professional about that. Um, yeah, yeah. I I mean, based off of that, what what else do you see as far as like questions for? There's a need for a follow-up because in the intro, I uh, gave a little teaser that we would come back around to the enchiladas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The need for the follow-up is, I I guess we could have part two, which is nutrition. 
how do we think about nutrition? Yeah. So we'll come back around to that in another episode. And uh, Jonathan, thanks for taking the time to record this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Get some. Yeah. Let the big dog eat. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Go to Go Whole podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please consider uh, supporting it on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash go dig a hole. Uh, All of your contributions are incredibly appreciated. And uh, I've already been able to do a lot of amazing things with your support. So thanks again. And please uh, share this with any of your friends, colleagues, classmates, students, teachers, whatever. Uh, You can also find me online. I'm very online. Uh, the blog is godigahole.com. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms at godigahole.com.